Greetings, I'm Josh Lowe, and this is NBA Retrospective. In our last episode on the 1988-89 season, we talked about a statistical comparison between Adrian Dantley and Mark Aguirre. And we're going to go ahead and do that comparison today in this episode. So I'll set the scene for the trade and go over the four factors along with team win percentage for both players, and we'll see if the Pistons made the right decision from a statistical standpoint. I want to point out real quick that when I say we're going to go over the four factors, I mean we're going to go over the four factors of the team with Dantley and the four factors of the team with Aguirre. We're not talking about individual four factors here, so important distinction. Anyway, in 1989, the Detroit Pistons chose to trade Adrian Dantley, who would become a franchise cornerstone and epitome of the bad boys, for Mark Aguirre of the Dallas Mavericks. Now, both players had reputations for being bad teammates, Aguirre for occasional quote-unquote loafing, and this was from uh, Dallas center James Donaldson. He was his teammate in Dallas via SI Vault. And Dantley for overall friction with teammates, and specifically friction with Isaiah Thomas. Now, the Pistons were 29-13 and 13 at the time of the trade, which occurred February 15th, 1989. And with a record like that, why do you make such a major change? And it's noteworthy that Dantley shot 13-15 of 15 in his last game as a Piston for 33 points. And so was the trade even beneficial for the Pistons? Would they have still won the back-to-back titles had they stuck with Dantley? Now, many of us remember the show Beverly Hills 90210, but I do not intend to turn this episode into Auburn Hills 48326. In other words, I don't need to emphasize all the drama and turn this into a soap opera, but... We do need to set the scene for the trade before doing any statistical analysis. And so again, Pistons were 29-13. and Dantley had just had a dominating performance, so everything looked solid on the surface. Yet, there was indeed substantial drama surrounding Dantley behind the scenes. And Isaiah Thomas would act as a team leader, much the way that LeBron James does now. And Thomas told teammates what they needed to do to improve the team's success. And Dantley took exception to this, saying, Okay, Isaiah, you've told everyone else what to do. What do you need to do? And this was chronicled in the Bad Boys documentary, available via ESPN. Uh, You should check that out if you're interested in this team. But in any case, the friction between Dantley and Thomas is undoubtedly a major factor in the decision to trade Dantley. However, why is it that Dantley has to be the one to go? Why can't Thomas be the one to go? And the answer is that the players were in different career stages, okay? Thomas was in his prime at age 29, and Dantley was most likely on his career's proverbial back nine at age 34, and Mark Aguirre was also 29. And additionally, Thomas and Aguirre were childhood friends. They grew up and dominated the summer leagues in Chicago's rough west side. And these facts likely lent credibility to a persistent rumor, unconfirmed at this point, that Thomas actually engineered the Dantley trade. 
And the Pistons general manager, Jack McCluskey, denied this, but Dantley still, to this day, suspects it. So from the Piston-powered blog, Adrian Dantley in 2010, I know Isaiah Thomas was behind the trade. It's not a question. It's a fact. Now, Chuck Daly, the Pistons head coach at the time, Dantley has become, quote, perpetually sullen. And Jack McCloskey, the GM, had noticed poor body language across the team, and Dantley's mood was feared to make the locker room toxic. And so McCloskey actually asked Dantley what exactly was going on and said, oh, right up front, Adrian, if you don't want to talk about it, I'm going to trade you. I'm not going to have you break up this team. I'm not saying you're at fault, but you know something that I don't know. And McCloskey to Coach Daly, it was going to get worse. It was not a risk. He, meaning Dantley, didn't communicate with me. He's not communicating with you. I'm going to trade him. And so at that point, the decision was made, obviously. And so Joe Dumars, teammate reaction. He was deeply saddened, but he kept quiet and requested a Dantley number 45 jersey as a keepsake. And John Sally, blank, how could they trade the teacher? A lot of guys felt that way. I like Mark Aguirre. He's okay. But AD did a lot for us. And I want to call attention to a couple of things here. First of all, the blank word rhymes with pit. Second, the nickname the teacher, okay? A lot of guys called Dantley that because of his play in terms of leading by example, and because he, well, he was exactly that. He was a teacher. He taught them a lot as they were rookies coming into the league. It's noteworthy that Sally was only a second-year player at that time. However, I remember Sally as more of a veteran leader later in his career. So his early perspective here is interesting, um, and it, it aligns well with this future characterization. But not all players were opposed. Bill Lambeer said, quote, I think our team just outgrew Adrian Dantley. Joe Dumars was about to come into his own, and it was important that we had more ball movement, and that was not Adrian's strength. It's also possible that the trade did boil down to a specific player on the Pistons roster, but that player was not Isaiah Thomas. It was, and you'll notice this guy keeps appearing on this podcast, Dennis Rodman. Now, Rodman did not engineer any trade requests that we know of, and he would likely not have had the seniority to do so at that point, as he was also only in his second year in the NBA at the time. But we do know that Dantley did not want to give up minutes to Rodman, despite Rodman's youth, size, rebounding ability, and effective field goal percentage. Recall that Rodman actually ranked number one in both offensive rebound and effective field goal percentage that season. And it's also notable that Dantley actually played more minutes than Rodman, despite being concerned about Rodman getting additional minutes. 31.9 minutes per game for Dantley, 26.9 for Rodman in 88-89. And it's also noteworthy that the following season, Aguirre did cede minutes to Rodman and accepted a bench role when the Pistons won their second of their back-to-back -back titles. Now, 
The social dynamics are impossible to quantify, but we can look at winning percentage and four factors performance. Again, I want to emphasize this is team four factors performance for the Pistons with Dantley and the Pistons with Aguirre to make a reasonable guess. Now, a notable limitation is that we can only really do this for the regular season because we don't have playoff statistics available for Dantley because he wasn't with the team when they were in the playoffs. So that's a limitation. We've got to focus only on the regular season. Now, legendary coach John Wooden. A player who makes a team great is more valuable than a great player. And again, that's the reason we're focusing on the team four factors, not individual. Now, for those of you who want individual, okay, a career statistical comparison between Dantley and Aguirre is available at landofbasketball.com. Spoiler alert, Dantley wins in almost every category, but that does not mean that the Pistons erred in trading Dantley. A better overall career does not equate to a better fit for that team, the 1988-89 Pistons. And to review the four factors briefly, effective field goal percentage is essentially shooting percentage with extra weight given to threes. Turnover percentage is team turnovers with weight given to field goals attempted. Rebound percentage is either offensive or defensive rebounds collected divided by total rebounds collected. And free throws per field goal attempt is exactly what it sounds like. Finally, winning percentage is measured as team win percentage with Dantley versus team win percentage for Aguirre. Again, we can do this only for the regular season. Now, I do have five number summaries for each of the for both components of the four factors. Remember that the four factors, there's an offensive and a defensive component for all of them, which means we're looking actually at a total of eight variables there. Um, however, I have five number summaries, which is the minimum first quartile, median third quartile, and maximum, as well as means, averages, but in order to avoid overwhelming you with numbers, I'm going to focus on the means and the medians only. If you want more information, if you want to know about the minimums, the maximums, the quartiles, you can post a question on the, Q, on the Q&A page in Spotify and I'll give you whatever variable that you, what, that you ask for. In terms, of a, in terms of a minimum uh, first and a third quartile or a max. So getting into effective field goal percentage. And the mean effective field goal percentage, 0.496 for Dantley, 0.513 for Aguirre. Median, 0.494 for Dantley, 0.524 for Aguirre. And... So Aguirre has the edge there in uh, both mean and median. And this category looks actually pretty clean cut for Aguirre. We don't have any outliers. I will point out outliers as they come up because that's important. Outliers can skew data. 
but we don't, what we don't have is we don't actually have any outliers here. I also have graphs, histograms, and box plots for this data, but again, on a podcast, it's difficult to discuss those without overwhelming you because I can't show them to you visually. So we're going to focus on, again, means, medians, and outliers. So if you want to declare a winner in effective field goal percentage, that one goes to Aguirre. Um, moving on now to turnover percentage. Here, Aguirre actually had the edge at all checkpoints. Um, the mean turnover percentage for Dantley, 0.147. Mean turnover percentage, Aguirre, 0.135. Median turnover percentage for Dantley, 0.145. For Aguirre, 0.139. And remember, when we're talking about turnovers, lower is better. That means you're turning the basketball over less. And I told you that we weren't going to go into all the individual checkpoints. However, I will tell you that Aguirre, in this case, actually has the edge at all of them, and not just at the mean and the median. We do have in this category both high and low outliers for both players. We have a um, high outlier for Dantley at 0.229, game 23, 0.225, game 25. We have a low outlier for Dantley, 0.062, game 42. And we have a high outlier for Aguirre, 0.202, game 64, and a low outlier for Aguirre, 0.057, game 39. And most likely the reason we have all of those outliers for both players, it's not unique to one, is that the Pistons played that brand of very tough basketball. Again, remember, these guys were called the bad boys for a reason. And when you do that, you can have games where turnover percentage gets high because if you get if you get too physical you t- you also tend to get sloppy so it's somewhat expected that we have some games that um were that were high outliers there and in terms of low outliers any good basketball team a basketball team who takes care of the basketball will have low outliers occasionally in turnover percentage. That means you're doing a good job. You're protecting the basketball very well. Moving on now to offensive rebound percentage. The mean there, uh, 0.336 for Dantley, 0.351 for Aguirre. Median, 0.347 for Dantley, 0.364 for Aguirre. And offensive rebound percentage, obviously, you want higher. Higher is better. That means you're collecting more offensive rebounds. And once again, Aguirre has the edge at all checkpoints. And I'm not going to, again, go through all the numbers and read them off to you, but Aguirre has the edge at all checkpoints. Clearly, he's your leader in that category, offensive rebound percentage. And in terms of outliers, we have only one low outlier for Dantley, That was 0.114 at Game 5. And that's going to uh, show up again in a couple of categories. We'll we'll talk about that game in a little bit. But other than that, the box plots 
which essentially are the five number summaries on a graph, are clean. There's no other major outliers besides Dantley's at Game 5, which we will talk about in a minute. Moving on now to free throws per field goal attempt. The mean for Dantley, 0.266. Mean for Aguirre, 0.273. Median for Dantley, also 0.266. Very symmetric there. And median for Aguirre, 0.281. And again, with this category, higher is better. You want to be making more rather than less of your free throws. We should recall, though, that free throws per field goal attempt, if you recall from the last episode, were not a significant predictor of team wins. And while Aguirre does have the edge at both the mean and the median, Dantley has the edge at the first quartile, third quartile, and max. So basically, this category is pretty much dead even. We do have a high outlier for Dantley at uh, 0.521. That was in game 15. I frankly cannot explain that. I'm not exactly sure what was going on in that game that caused that high outlier, but it was present and it was the only outlier for either player. So in an 82-game season, it's probably safe to ignore that one. Moving on to opposing effective field goal percentage. Remember that I told you the four factors have both offensive and defensive components. So opposing effective field goal percentage, lower is better. That means that your opponents are making fewer shots. So the mean opposing effective field goal percentage for Dantley, 0.446. Mean opposing effective field goal percentage for Aguirre, 0.459. Median for Dantley, 0.439. Median for Aguirre, 0.462. And so this is the first metric that we have that clearly favors Dantley. And Dantley is actually lower at all checkpoints with the exception of the third quartile and the maximum. And in terms of outliers, Dantley's max is an outlier. That was 0.644 at game 30. So that one, uh, that was a high outlier there. So it looks like the team just had some, frankly, some trouble defending in that game. We also have two low outliers for Dantley, 0.217 in game six, 0.286 in game four. Um, But nonetheless, Dantley is superior at all checkpoints with the exception of the third quartile and the maximum. And by superior in this case, remember, we mean lower because um, you want your opposing effective field goal percentage to be low. You don't want them to be making shots. So moving on now to opposing turnover percentage. And in this case, you want that to be high because you want your opponents to be turning the basketball over frequently. So the mean opposing turnover percentage for Dantley, 0.142. Mean opposing turnover percentage for Aguirre, 0.120. Median for Dantley, 0.140. And median for Aguirre, 0.117. 
This also clearly favors Dantley. Dantley actually has higher values at all of the five-number summary checkpoints. Moving on to the box plots. These box plots are very clean. There are actually no outliers, and it's clear graphically that Dantley is superior across the statistical board in this category. Um, there's no weird games or anything like that. Now, moving on to defensive rebound percentage. Mean defensive rebound percentage for Dantley, 0.689. Mean for Aguirre, 0.697. Median for Dantley, 0.679. Median for Aguirre, 0.688. So Aguirre has a slight edge here. Um, with, like I said, the higher mean and median, but lower minima and maxima. But remember that the mean and the median, you have to essentially account for all games there. Um, the mean is literally calculated by adding up the total of all games and dividing by the number of games. So you have to have everything. Median is calculated by taking the value that falls directly in the middle of all games. So again, you have to account for everything. Whereas with the min and the max, it really only comes down to one game. So the mean and the median are more meaningful statistically, which means that the slight edge here goes to Aguirre. Now, we do have a high outlier for Dantley. That was uh, 0.882 in game five. And we talked about that a little bit earlier. This is what I was referring to. So defensive rebound percentage for Dantley, 0.882, game five. Offensive rebound percentage was something like 0.1. I've already forgotten what the exact number was, but something like 0.1. And so that just goes to show that in that game, Pistons versus Celtics, which the Pistons won by six, if I recall correctly, um, so for that game, Pistons versus Celtics, the defense has even greater advantage on the glass than usual. We've talked about how the defense has the edge on the glass for other seasons and for this season in previous episodes. That particular game, it looks like it was just more dominant than usual, the defenses were. So that's likely the cause for the outlier in both offensive, low outlier in terms of offensive rebound percentage high outlier in terms of defensive rebound percentage for Dantley. Now, getting on to opposing free throws per field goal attempt. The mean for Dantley, 0.269. Mean for Aguirre, 0.257. Median for Dantley, 0.257. Median for Aguirre, 0.253. And it's noteworthy that Aguirre has the edge at all checkpoints here except for the max. And recall that when we're talking about opposing free throws per field goal attempt, lower is better. You want your opponents making less free throws rather than more. And I will remind you once again that free throws per field goal attempt were not considered a significant predictor of team wins this season. And the box plots here pretty much match the numeric summaries. There are no outliers. Um, we see 
uh, the Aguirre is superior, i.e. lower, at all points other than the max. Now, if you've been keeping score, congratulations. You know um, what I'm going to say next. But just to go back over the variables in terms of raw numbers, who won in terms of raw numbers. So effective field goal percentage, Aguirre. Turnover percentage, Aguirre. Offensive rebound percentage, Aguirre. Free throws for field goal attempt, Aguirre. Opposing effective field goal percentage, Dantley. Opposing turnover percentage, Dantley. Defensive rebound percentage, Aguirre. Opposing free throws for field goal attempt, Aguirre. Now, all of that is good to know. However, the statistic that matters the most, obviously, is going to be win percentage. Okay, team win percentage. So, win percentage, Dantley, 0.69. The record, as I said before, was 29 and 13. And win percentage, Aguirre, 0.85. The record was 34 and 6. And it's noteworthy that Aguirre only played 36 of those last 40 games, but I am counting all 40 of those games. If you want to count only the games that Aguirre played, we can say that the record was 30 and 6, and the win percentage was 0.8 flat. Now, we do need to introduce a couple of more statistical terms here. Because we also need to determine whether these differences were statistically significant. And to do that, we do something called a two-sample t-test. And the name t-test actually came from a student worker in a Guinness brewery back in the day. So, brilliant, as the commercial says. And what we're essentially doing is we're testing to see if the means of two samples, in this case... It's Dantley's games versus Aguirre's games differ significantly. Now, the test itself is a bit in-depth for a podcast. I don't want, it's mathematically complicated and I don't want to bore you, but just know that it ultimately generates a p-value or a probability value, which we did talk about in previous episodes. In this case, the p-value is the probability that a difference in means, and we talked about the means, for Aguirre and Dantley just now, difference in means between the two players' games could occur solely by chance. And the most common cutoff is 5% or 0.05, which we will use here. So that is that if it's a 5% probability or less of a difference in means occurring solely by chance, that difference is considered statistically significant. Now, the question that I suspect some of you are asking, why even do this test instead of doing what we just did before, which is comparing the stats directly? And the reason is that this test is generally used in situations where we want to gauge the two samples to make inferences about a population. In our case, it indicates what might happen over many seasons theoretically repeated under the same conditions. In other words, era, player age, injury history, etc., is sort of along the lines of what we did before in previous episodes where we simulated seasons 10,000 times. Um, in other words, so not just did the Pistons make the right decision 
based solely on the actual 88-89 season, but did they make the right decision based on many 88-89 seasons? Now, getting into some of these p-values here, so for effective field goal percentage, p-value 0.2, no statistically significant difference. Turnover percentage, p-value 0.1, no statistically significant difference. Offensive rebound percentage, p-value 0.4, no statistically significant difference. Free throws per field goal attempt, p-value 0.5, no statistically significant difference. Opposing effective field goal percentage, p-value 0.3, no statistically significant difference. Opposing turnover percentage, p-value 0.009. And so here, we do have a statistically significant difference. Dantley is significantly lower than Aguirre in opposing turnover percentage. Okay, moving on to defensive rebound percentage, p-value 0.4, no statistically significant difference. Opposing free throws per field goal attempt, 0.6, no statistically significant difference. And finally, the statistic that matters most, winning percentage. P-value 0.04, Aguirre is significantly greater there. Now, here's the scene with this. Statistical significance and practical significance are clearly two very different things. Because when we look at winning percentage, we see a significant difference there going Aguirre's way. When we look at all of the individual four factors, in all but one case, that being opposing turnover percentage, we see no statistically significant difference at all. And in opposing turnover percentage, we see the difference going, the statistically significant difference going Dantley's way. But remember, when we looked at the raw numbers in terms of means, medians, and we did look at the other aspects in the five-number summary, although I didn't read those off to you, we recall that most of them went to Aguirre. In fact, all but opposing effective field goal percentage and opposing turnover percentage went to Aguirre. So what that goes to show is that statistical significance and practical significance can be two different things. Um, and that's, ca- that's clarified by the fact that we do have a statistical statistically significant difference in win percentage going Aguirre's way, despite having the only statistically significant difference in opposing turnover percentage going Dantley's way. And as we saw earlier on, in terms of the raw values, almost all factors go Aguirre's way, except for opposing effective field goal percentage and opposing turnover percentage. And the most important metric, which was winning percentage, also goes Aguirre's way at 0.85 versus 0.69. If you want to consider only the games Aguirre actually played, it's 0.8 flat versus 0.69. And again, we saw the statistically significant difference there. And the most realistic conclusion, therefore, is Aguirre wins. The Pistons were better with him in almost all metrics. 
and Aguirre's games show a statistically significant difference in the most important metric, which of course is win percentage. And it's also noteworthy that Aguirre would be willing to go to the bench for Rodman the following season when the Pistons also won the NBA championship. And this is something that Dantley refused to do. So overall, it appears the Pistons made the right decision in trading for Aguirre, working with Aguirre, and winning two championships with Mark Aguirre. So that's pretty much all I've got for today. I will try to release episodes every other week going forward, but I'm going to need your help to do it. So if you can donate via computer browser by searching NBA Retrospective Podcasts and clicking Support This Podcast. You can also follow me on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to NBA Retrospective. And with that, I'm Josh Lowe, and this is NBA Retrospective, and we'll see you next time.